This morning, as I mentioned earlier, we celebrate All Saints Sunday, one of the major feast days in the church. If you're like me and you did not grow up in a liturgical church, you might have a certain reaction to hearing about saints. If you grew up in a liturgical church, especially a Roman Catholic church, you might also have a reaction to hearing the word saint. You might think of someone extra holy or sort of bizarre or someone who lived a long time ago or maybe um, was poor <laughs> and served the poor. Well, this morning I'd like to start with simply giving us some big picture framework on what this day is and why we take time to celebrate it, even as good Protestants, and then we'll hear some stories of the saints. And I've invited a couple other people to help me with that this morning, but let's start with some basics. First, what is a saint? We Anglican Protestants tend to use the word in two ways. One is to refer to the saints of old. I'm gonna show you a couple resources today. I meant to bring them over here, but I forgot. Um, one is this book, Holy Women and Holy Men. This is a resource from the Episcopal Church, but it has the saints' days in the year with a little bit about their life and scriptures that go with it and a collect. And this book talks about the saints of old as those faithful departed who were extraordinary or even heroic servants of God for the sake and after the example of their Savior, Jesus Christ. So from very early on, the church celebrated these men and women. Think about Hebrews 11, with all its names of a mixed bag of characters, right? But people who lived by faith and not by sight. Theologians refer to these saints as the church triumphant, the men and women who are done with this earthly struggle and are now in the presence of Jesus, waiting along with us for the resurrection of the dead. As I said, even the Anglican Church remembers these faithful saints throughout the church year. You can check out this book afterwards if you'd like to see it. So the second sense of the word, the way we use it, is related to how Scripture uses it. We care about Scripture. Saint, you might know, comes from the Latin word sanctus, holy. That's from the Greek word holy, hagias. In preparing this sermon, I wanted to look for how Scripture uses saints, and I searched the English version of the NIV and discovered they don't use that word very often, saints. Instead, they translate it, the phrase, uh, as um, the Lord's people. The Lord's people. You can find this a bunch of times in Romans, Revelation, 1 Corinthians, just, just for a start. And that's actually a good translation. The saints are the Lord's people. The holy ones who've been brought to Jesus through baptism, set aside, devoted to the Lord and his purposes. So guess what? If you are baptized and following Jesus, you are a saint. You can go home to your significant other. I'm a saint. Or honey, you're a saint. We gather here as the saints of God, his holy people, not because we are especially good or holier than thou, but because we are in Christ. We've been called and cleansed and set aside for a purpose. That's what holiness means. Set aside for a purpose. I have a cast iron pan that was given to me in my wedding registry. And uh, if you have cast iron, you know it takes some special care. You don't just use it for, for anything. I, you know, my kids do messy crafts sometimes, and maybe I'll get out old beat-up cookie sheets to put the crafts on. I'm not going to use my cast iron pan for that messy craft. I would not use my cast iron pan to store used tissues when I'm sick. <laughs> I use it for what it's meant for, cooking. And I also take care of it and clean it in a special way so it will stay able to be used and enjoyed for what it's made for. That is a very small picture of what holiness means. 
what it means to be a saint. We are those who are set aside for a purpose, not to store used tissues, metaphorically speaking. We're called to be chosen and devoted to God, and that affects what we do, how we live, even how we treat our bodies. We are the saints, along with all of those we read about, all the bizarre stories, all along, all of, along with those who've come before us. Theologians call us here the church militant, which is not my favorite term at this point. I've also read about the church pilgrim, which is better. But maybe we could reframe this to the church laboring or the church resistant. The point here is that we living on earth are the saints whose struggle is not yet done. That we groan with all creation against our own sinfulness, the pull of the world and the flesh and the devil. We partner with God for his purposes here and now. So that's a little bit what it means to be a saint. Why do we take a day to celebrate all the saints? Because we need the reminder that we here on earth are way less than half of the full church. Think about that for a second. We're not even half, maybe about this much. The church triumphant is in communion with us in a real way. Their souls are kept close to Jesus in some way we can't understand until we join them. This picture in Revelation, this is a picture of the church triumphant, worshiping the Lamb right now with us even as we await the final resurrection from the dead. N.T. Wright writes this in his book, Surprised by Hope. Since both the departed saints and we ourselves are in Christ, we share with them in the communion of saints. They are still our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we celebrate the Eucharist, they're there with us, along with the angels and the archangels. If they are with Christ, in a sense that, as Paul implies, is closer than we ourselves are at the moment, there's every reason to suppose that they are like the souls under the altar in Revelation, urging the Father to complete the work of justice and salvation in the world. One of my liturgy instructors used to talk about the Eucharist as this kind of mystical table, if you can imagine with me, that if you could kind of pull apart the veil between heaven and earth, it would be a table that extends backwards all the way through time with all the saints and the disciples joining the banquet and Jesus himself at the head. Backwards in time and then forward to the future, out to highwood and beyond, all the way through to that great feast in glory. So in a very real way, not one we can fully take in, not one we can see, in a real way we share fellowship communion with all of those followers of Jesus who've passed. And we will share communion with followers in the future when we pass through death as well. Celebrating all saints reminds us what's real and that what is real is more than we can see. Now, we do not pray to these departed saints. That's, that's one of the differences. We don't pray to them. We don't need a mediator other than Jesus Christ. But in our prayers, as we've begun to do in our prayers of the people, you might have noticed, we can honor those who've passed. They still exist in some real way in the presence of Christ. Jesus is loving them even now. In our prayers, we can give thanks for their example. We can express to God how much we miss them and long to be with them. We can thank God that they're cheering us on as that cloud of witnesses and simply 
bless them in Christ because we can be confident that that's God's will for them as it is for us. I wonder if love for neighbor might ask us to expand our theological imagination, our sense of what's real, to include these faithful souls in fellowship as well. It's a little spooky. It's humbling. It's awe-inspiring, and it's gratitude-inducing. At least it is for me. We celebrate All Saints Day because all of the saints are part of us, and we of them. And together we are held in Christ, in love. Now, as I've said, I've invited a couple people to come and share a story this morning with us about one of their favorite saints of old. That's one of the ways that we honor the saints and the communion of the saints. So I'm going to invite Bradley to come up first. I uh, have invited a historian to talk about history, so we'll see how long that goes. (laughs) And then Deacon Ethan will come and share as well. Let's see what the Spirit would have us learn from these stories of the saints. I I set out for brevity, and then I have... Uh, more than I planned. So, uh, no, I, when we speak about the saints, I think there's a tendency to think about um, the, the biggest and the brightest of Christian theologians, the Augustans, the Thomas Aquinas, the people whose writings have contributed greatly to the faith uh, and devotion of Christians uh, throughout the centuries. But as I was thinking about what Mother Amanda asked me, I thought primarily of people who have worked as the hands and feet of God in this world. So I want to focus specifically today on saintly acts of service. And this wasn't just saints going out and being like, I think I should be a good person in this world. I think I'm going to see what I can do. But these are people who were deeply shaped by the heartbeat of Scripture. And it's something that we see acts of service and love towards others is something we see throughout Scripture. But when we look at Christ, the author and perfecter of faith, we see the care he showed uh, to those around him through healings, his teachings, and his compassion on the poor and the downtrodden. Other passages might also jump out, such as throughout the law, the constant reminder to care for the sojourner and the widow and the orphan in your, uh, in your midst, or the Gospels, uh, when Matthew reminds us that whatever we do to the least of these, we have done unto Christ, or James instructing us that pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And as we allow ourselves to be shaped by Scripture, we see that while God looks not at the outward appearance but the heart, He is deeply concerned for our physical needs, and his commission to the saints is in part the pursuit of help and healing for the needs of our world. Uh, This heartbeat of scripture has driven 2,000 years of saints caring for the poor and the oppressed. One such saint that jumps to mind put this into practice, and his name was St. Lawrence. Lawrence was born in 225 in the Roman province of Spain, and he was made an archdeacon in Rome, where he was responsible for managing the church's riches and distributing money and goods to the poor and needy. Now, in the year 258, the Emperor Valerian ordered a persecution, and he specifically ordered uh, that bishops, priests, and deacons were targeted. At that time, it was usual for the property of accused and executed Christians to be confiscated by the government. So when the Bishop of Rome was uh, captured and executed, a greedy Roman prefect approached Lawrence because he was in charge of the money and demanded that he turn over the, the significant treasures of the church. Lawrence, when he was given this demand, asked the prefect for three days to gather the treasure. Lawrence took this time to distribute as much of the church's gold as he could to the poor and the needy. And then he brought many of them into the cathedral. So when the prefect came to collect, he found a room full of people that Roman high society had ignored and oppressed. Lawrence gestured to these people and said, these are the treasures of the church. Lawrence clearly understood the heartbeat of God for the least of these, and he took his deaconly call to serve them with the utmost seriousness. As you can imagine, the prefect was, of course, incensed, 
and according to the martyr accounts, ordered Lawrence to be roasted on a hot grill. It is said that amid his torment, Lawrence called out, this side's well done, turn me over and eat. Because of this, St. Lawrence is now the patron saint of cooks, chefs, and comedians. And that's true, you can look that up. St. Lawrence is remembered for his extraordinary faith and his clear-sighted understanding of who the Lord treasures. Yet this is not a trait exclusive to those with access to the church's money bag or those tested with extraordinary martyrdoms. In each generation, Christians have answered the call to help those in need during trying circumstances. We don't have to leave the time of St. Lawrence to see other examples of this. The ancient world was full of plagues, and we had a small taste of this in recent years. But these plagues ripped through cities, leaving a trail of devastation. It's estimated that the plague of 165 killed up to one-third of the population of the Roman Empire, an extraordinary number. In the midst of this sickness and death, however, Christians went to work. Saints from every walk of life cared for the sick, but it wasn't just other Christians they ministered to. Cyprian, the Bishop of Carthage, encouraged his flock to serve everyone in the city, Christians and pagans alike. This, however, took its toll. Dionysius of Alexandria reported during another deadly plague that many Christians, heedless of danger, took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. He went on to say that the best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner, winning high commendation so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith, seems in every way uh, e the equal of martyrdom. These saints are not remembered by name, but they impacted their world. Their actions were a stark contrast to their non-Christian contemporaries who would often abandon and neglect anyone who de demonstrated signs of the plague, choosing rather to save themselves. There's accounts of ancient plagues where if anybody in your family was found sick, they would just throw them outside and there were just the streets littered with the corpses of the dead and the dying. Through these saints of sacrificial love, they cared for others physically and spiritually and caused reports of the Christian's love to spread throughout the empire so that even the harshest critics of Christianity had to acknowledge the love Christians showed for all. One such critic was the Emperor Julian, also known as Julian the Apostate, who wrote a book called Against the Galileans, which was what he termed Christians. And he even said, we need to pick it up. These Christians are outdoing us because they see we're leaving our, our sick alone and the Christians seeing how we neglect our own, have cared for them. <clears throat> and so the, the fame of Christian love spread throughout the entire empire. So those, these, though these saints are not remembered for catchy final words like St. Lawrence, faithful saints such as the ones that ministered to the sick throughout the plagues were the hands and feet of God, loving the world as he loves them. And they continue to be faithful voices in our great cloud of witnesses, encouraging us towards love and justice today. Good morning. Um, it's no accident that our gospel reading this morning was the Beatitudes. Um, I think saints are those people who most embody those virtues that Christ lists. And that's certainly true of my saint, Saint Martin de Porres. Uh, just two days ago, November 3rd, was the feast day of Saint Martin de Porres. Martin was born in the late 1500s in Lima, Peru. At the time, Peru was a colony of Spain, and Lima was a bustling colonial capital full of both Spanish colonists and native peoples. And Martin was the illegitimate son of a Spanish nobleman and a woman of both African and native descent. When, native, when Martin was still very young, his father abandoned him and his mother, and he grew up in 
great poverty. Even from a young age, Martin was devoted to prayer, and he wanted to be taken into a religious order. But under the laws of Peru at the time, people of native or African descent were not allowed to enter religious orders. So Martin asked the Dominican priory in Lima if he could at least serve as a kind of factotum in the monastery, a volunteer who would do menial tasks and be allowed to live there. And so he worked in the kitchen, cleaned, did the laundry, and so on. Uh, After eight years of this, when he was in his early 20s, the prior decided to ignore the law and invited Martin to take holy orders and formally enter the monastery. It is said that Martin refused this elevation several times, saying he was not worthy, and he never did become a priest. Even so, not all the brothers in the monastery accepted the prior's decision, and Martin was still mocked and belittled by the brothers for being of mixed race, a descendant of slaves, and for being illegitimate. Ten years later, when he was in his 30s, Martin was assigned to the infirmary, and that's where he served for the rest of his life. He became known throughout the city for his care for the sick. Regardless of who they were, he showed love and compassion for all, whether wealthy nobles or the poorest of the poor. There's a story told about Martin that one day, an old beggar who was covered with ulcers and nearly naked reached out his hands to Martin. And Martin brought him to the monastery and let him sleep in his own bed, in his cell. When one of the other monks rebuked Martin for this, Martin said, my dear brother, compassion is preferable to cleanliness. Uh, Another similar story is told of Martin, that one day he found a poor man bleeding from a dagger wound. And he brought him to his own cell until he could move him to a hospital. The prior, hearing this, reprimanded Martin for his disobedience. I guess he wasn't supposed to bring strangers into his own cell. Martin's answer was this. Forgive my error and please instruct me. For I did not know that the precept of obedience took precedence over that of charity. And after that, the prior gave Martin freedom to show mercy (laughs) wherever he was led. It's said that Martin began to do miracles, including passing through locked doors to care for sick people in quarantine, miraculous cures, also ecstasies that lifted him into the air, light filling the room where he was praying. He begged for alms in the street. And he was so well-known and beloved in the city that he received enough money from his begging to feed many people every day and to give money to those in need as well. He served at the same monastery his whole life and died uh, at the age of 60 in 1639. Martin de Porres is an example to me of extreme humility. A man who suffered mistreatment because of his race, and his station in life, but who, instead of seeking honor, took the lowest place 
He is an example to me of the way we are called to live in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. May God grant us the grace to live the way St. Martin de Porres lived, to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord so that he will lift us up. Amen. Thank you both. Is that Martin the poorest? The poorest. Tor- Pores. You can spell it for me later. Thank you. Which story should I tell? Because there are so many to choose from. There are some amazing saints I have learned about before, like Richard Allen, who was born in this country into slavery in 1760. Converted at 17, purchased his freedom, became a preacher. His vestry decided to segregate worship, and he walked out. And he became the first bishop of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. I could tell that story. I could tell about Satoko Kitahara, a saint I learned about this week. A Japanese woman, Roman Catholic, descended from samurai, who devoted her life to tending to those who were made poor and orphaned because of World War II. I could tell that story. I could tell of Rose of Lima, born in Peru in 1586. They must have overlapped. But she was of noble birth, and she left behind that privileged life to care for the poor. And on and on and on we could go. But I've decided to tell a story of some saints you won't find in any books. Saints Darlene and Leora. They were the nursery care workers at First Baptist Church of Corona, California, the church where I was dedicated as an infant and later baptized as a seven-year-old. As um, many of you know, my parents both worked for the church, so I spent a lot of time in the nursery growing up. I don't know much about Darlene and Leora's stories. I should ask my parents. They probably know. I remember they were grandmotherly types. I remember them in the rocking chairs. I remember Darlene in particular. I remember her laugh. I can still, to what extent I can see in my head, see her face. I remember her voice. I remember she was more flexible than Leora when it came to letting us choose a snack. And somehow, I remember that she loved me. I remember her love and Leora's love and her kindness to us crazy church kids. I remember the nursery feeling safe and fun. So much so that my friends and I lingered in that space during church time way past when we were of nursery age. Uh, Because otherwise we had to sit in the service and listen to sermons. I know some of you youth are now empathizing. We hung out in the nursery. That's where we wanted to be. Darlene and Leora did not do any miracles or noble acts that I know of. They did not slay any dragons or join a convent 
or take a vow of poverty, but they were totally faithful to offer what they could. Love, kindness, and safety to the smallest children of that little church. And I am one of those who gives great thanks for them today. Saints Darlene and Leora, who now bask in the presence of Jesus. Why tell stories of the saints this morning? Deacon Ethan loaned me this beautiful book this week, Stories of the Saints, really beautiful illustrations. As he said, um, a little more Catholic than we are. But at the very beginning of the book, the author writes this. Who is a saint? Saints are not born better or braver than the rest of us. Gregory the Great ran away when the people of Rome elected him bishop. Jean Vianney couldn't do simple schoolwork. Bernadette was too sick to play like other girls. Saints are not people who are always good and never afraid. They're people who believe there must be more to life than just what we can see. This world may be hard and unfair, but saints believe in a God who is bigger than the world, whose law is love, and whose justice is mercy. And this faith gives them courage. We tell stories of the saints as an encouragement in our life as saints, as a reminder that there is always more to life than what we can see, and that we, like them, have the challenge of living by faith and not by sight. They are like the marathon runners who are already finished, who stand at the finish line cheering us on, standing next to the King of Saints, Jesus Christ, our Lord the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. They tell us we made it through trial and tribulation. We made it through war and persecution. We made it through temptation and suffering. We made it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will too. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.